interrupt your program to bring you this important podcast. How to 911. Can you can you put me out of service on a podcast, please? Hi guys, welcome back to How to 911. I feel like I just said this because <laughs> it's true. I did. Um, my name's Sammy. America, and we're interviewing an officer for the third time. What? Like so popular, exact so by popular, popular demand. We're with Officer Marner, and we're going to be talking about something that he is a professional in. Maybe not professional, but very well-knowledged in. How about a uh, instructor? Yeah, instructor. Our topic is active assailants, and what do we do both as dispatch and law enforcement on the side? We're going to talk to Officer Marner first, and then me and Erica are going to do our own little thing afterwards to give you a feeling about what the dispatch side of thing is. I don't think Mar- Officer Marner wants to hear that boring stuff so we'll spare you the details or you can listen to the episode yeah all right happy to check it out sick so (laughs) first question is what classifies as an active assailant um so we subscribe to the alert program which is advanced law enforcement rapid response training perfect (laughs) um and basically i think by definition uh it's any Let's, let me just pull up a better, at the specific definition of it. I love it. And we'll say, too, that it used to, we would say active shooter. Yeah. yeah. And it has changed, too. Yeah, I think the current terminology uh, now is active attack, because I think active shooter originally was the first, um, <clears throat> I guess, iteration of a law enforcement program in order to handle that, and that's what we saw, um, unfortunately for Colorado, we um, we kind of are, I want to say like the pioneers because that makes it imply something positive and it's obviously not, but we've had a, uh, probably an unproportional amount of those here in Colorado. So we, um, a lot of this kind of stems from Columbine as one of the first ones, mm-hmm. um, major ones that we, I think people just got together and decided we needed a national standardized program in order how to, to train uh, officers for a uniformed response to that kind of uh, event mm-hmm. um, and most at that time was then I think it evolved to active assailant because we saw some of them not everybody had um, guns only knives um, you know any anything that can be a weapon can do that and now I think the <clears throat> recent one update um, is active attack. So, but the definition uh, is an individual actively engaged in killing or attempting to kill people in a confined and populated area. Um, there's a note to that that says most cases active shooters use firearm, and there's generally no pattern, method, or selection of victims. So, I think to break it down, right, um, somebody's actively engaged in killing or attempted to kill people. This is just for my own curiosity. Because most of these kind of situations are so fluid, Mm -hmm. I don't know that you can ever say that there's complete non... Intent. Yeah, non-intent or complete randomness to something, Um, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times it's been disguised, like it's a disgruntled employee or they have a problem with one person and somebody else happens to get in the way or at that point... I guess, screw it, I've already killed one person, now I'm mad at everybody. Mm-hmm. I don't know, honestly, to on the thought process, 
behind that, and I don't know that we know a lot of that because the majority of them don't end with them in custody, and if they are, I don't think they're necessarily willing to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I know that we just had one, unfortunately, recently, last, um, oh, the beginning of this month, right? A few weeks ago, in Boulder at the King Supers. I believe the FBI has classified that as a terrorist event because the guy claimed uh, some Muslim ties, or is Muslim, and I think that I don't know if that's what the official outcome will be, but that's what the last I heard was. It was considered a um, a terrorist act at this point mm-hmm. because of that. So, did I answer your question? It did, thank okay. you. So, what are the first steps to prepare for an active assailant? So, our department, a couple of years ago, realized the need for a standardized program. Um, alert is kind of the, uh, it's not the only way to do things like NTOA, which is the National Tactical Officers Association, which SWAT is what we're a part of. Um, There you have a program as well. Um, Alert does a good job with their training. It's grant funded by the government and there's a tremendous amount of training, resources, tools, money for that specific training. So um, I think that's probably why we went with that one specifically. Um, basically they will bring instructors and their equipment and they'll come to your uh, department or um, like multiple hosts of departments can get together and do it and it's basically free to the department Mm -hmm. through this grant fund so that's probably I mean that's a big sell to people right free training and they bring their own equipment with them so Um, so I, I would say first developing a program so we have one now we put all of our new officers through the basics of active assailant and then we do a yearly uh, in-service recurring training for officers that are on our department currently. So then what does it look like say day of if that situation happens what are the first steps then? Um, I mean there's a couple of basic steps for the, for the response. Uh, if you're the first person if I was the first person on scene then obviously I would get geared up in the equipment I have um, to be successful, uh, I'm on the SWAT team, so I have a helmet, a heavy vest, and we're all issued on patrol, like active um, assailant bags. So that's like a bag you can throw over your shoulder. Um, it's got extra magazines, extra medical equipment like tourniquets and chest seals and um, quick clot gauze, and I think there's a pair of scissors in there as well. So I would grab that, and then um, you're going in to stop the threat stop the killing yeah and if that were me by myself I mean each officer has to make that own decision and we always tell people that like that's your own decision you're there on scene by yourself Um, the statistics are pretty high that if an officer goes in and to stop the um, confront the assailant quickly and if if, you know early on Mm -hmm. then it typically has a pretty favorable outcome towards the officer as opposed to the suspect gotcha so once you're on scene and there's more than one officer there, like what kind of scene does that look like? I think in a perfect scenario, you've got five officers that show up similar at the same time. First four will create a contact team. The fifth person is what they call the fifth man, and that person assumes command, and he'll be the point of, or him or her will be the point of contact for that contact team going in to relay any information to dispatch or as they're setting up a command post, right? That person's in charge of that. So like a staging area for additional resources, a staging area for fire, ambulances, other officers arriving on scene. Um, And then also they're the ones 
directly uh, in communication with that contact team so everything goes through that person to help consolidate radio traffic and information. Gotcha. This is a dumb question, but the bag that you keep, is it just in the back of your car? Yeah, so for a while I had it um, in my front seat or on the front seat, but it doesn't fit quite well there. And my thought process personally is I'm not going to go into um, an active assailant situation without my helmet or heavy vest, and that's in the back. So I have to go back there anyway to get that equipment, so I can just grab that bag at the same time, quick and easy. And just people on SWAT have the helmets? Um, no, now I think there's some uh, patrol officers that have been issued them from uh, helmets that have been laying around that the SWAT team no longer utilizes or something. I don't know fully because I'm not one of those people. Um, we also are, a lot of officers have been part of the 616 SHIELD program, or SHIELD 616, which is somebody like the Lions Club or somebody mm-hmm. at, um, Rotary Club would say, hey, we've got $5,000, we'd like to donate mm-hmm. to three officers, uh, SHIELD 616, and it's like a, a vest with plates and a helmet. Mm-hmm. And so it's just additional extra ballistic protection that um, I already have for being on the SWAT team, but that the average patrol officer wouldn't have or maybe couldn't afford mm. to buy for themselves because it's kind of pricey. Huh. So what advice do you have for the public if they're in that situation where there's an active assailant and they're in that location? I mean, I think the easiest thing to do is if there's an exit or a way to get out, then get out. Don't by any means feel like, well, I know that the person's down the hall, I'm gonna hide in this room. Now, if that's your only option, then do that. But if there's a way for you to, you know the building, like you go to school there, you go to church, you know the grocery store, for example, um, and you know where an alternate exit is away from that person, then that's the best thing you do is get yourself out of that situation as quick as you can. If you aren't able to? Find the best place you think you can to hide. Mm -hmm. That's the best option. Or get your concealed carry to defend yourself, potentially. so if that situation's going on and there's people in the area, like obviously not involved, what should they know about what to do if that's going on? Leave the area. Yeah. That's it's it. A, it well, it's a very, that's the best answer. It's a very dynamic situation and nothing ever goes to plan. Um, you could come up with the best plan in mind for something like that, A, B, C, D, E, and the next thing you know you went from A to, to R and bypassed everything so um, it's just too dynamic to come up with more than just common sense approaches to be honest with you those are the best things you can do get out get out if you can if not find a place to shelter in place and hide Um, and then if you're a citizen or an observer in that area get away from the building I'm not saying leave completely because you might have valuable information on where the suspect is what they look like what what they're armed with I mean, it depends on the level of, um, I guess, observation that that uh, citizen had. At the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're talking about shelter in place. You're talking about running for an exit if you can and staying away from the area. Um, I know when the situation was going on with Boulder, they were posting, I think, on some social media, like, people were going there to, like, view like record footage of it and like posting it on their own personal social media accounts and boulder was like can you please stop because you're like giving away officer locations or tactical stuff like that so 
Well, I think first and foremost, if you were not a part of that um, situation, like you weren't shopping for groceries there at that time, the good, putting yourself there obviously puts yourself in the potential for danger. So we don't want that. We don't want more people involved in a dangerous situation. Also, the more people we have on scene, the harder it is for us to do our job. Then it takes our attention a little bit from um, the focus of what's going on inside of where that active incident's happening. Now we have to have somebody out on perimeter or more people on perimeter than maybe we would have needed because we have five, 10, 15 people showing up to film it because they think it's important for them to be able to film that and say, I was there. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just kind of the basic honest truth. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So what can the public do to help responders in that kind of situation? Like I said, I think leave the area if possible. If you weren't a direct witness, just get out of there. Um, if you were a witness and you did see something, then make sure you find an officer to pass along information um, that they can pass along that could be beneficial for locating the suspect or description or weapons or anything like that. Um, or, you know, just do your best to stay out of the way and let us try to resolve the situation. Cool. Do you have anything else that you want to add? Mm -mm. No? Was that all of it? That's all the questions I came up with. So Fair if you enough. want to talk a little bit more about yeah. what you do as an instructor. Um, <clears throat> you have to go through a school. So I went through a week-long active assignment school for that was combined with like medical and fire. Mm -hmm. um, so I, it's called integrated response. So fire is just as involved in this and paramedics, mostly fire. We trained with paramedics. I mean, we do now on the SWAT team and they have some experience from it. but mostly the national standards fire um, and we'll do a rescue task force is what it's called and that's an officers in front and then there's you know three or four firemen and then an officer in back to protect them so our standing agreement i guess for lack of a better term with the fire uh, department is will you they will go in with us as long as we protect them and that will probably continue nationally until an officer doesn't protect them hmm. so Right now, we have a good relationship with that, so we'll make sure we take care of those guys because the better we take care of them, the better they can do their job and treat people medically and save lives. So, I mean, we have some basic training. Yeah. Through that, I have a better understanding of tourniquet use and chest seals and um, quick clock gauze and stuff. Um, and you get a kind of some tactics or instruction on when to use that, when not to use that, what's more important which has changed in recent years because the old style was step over our victims to go address the threat and handle that. And that's still, you know, the focus, but at the same time, there's been examples of active um, assailant situations happening and the suspects have left the location and officers just stepped over and kept looking for the suspects. And those people end up, you know, getting seriously injured or dying because officers could have just giving them a tourniquet or a chest seal or some quick clock gauze, you know, taking five, 10 seconds to pause it, mm -hmm. um, address that situation and then continue on, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we train people that I can give you a tourniquet, I can walk you through the steps of putting it on yourself or quick clock gauze. Um, chest seal might be a little more, that might be a little more uh, uh, hands-on need. But for the majority of that, like I can put pressure on somebody with my knee while still holding my gun in a tactical manner to protect for a threat, but address 
um, some basic medical care for that person. And maybe that's the difference in saving their life. So it's changed a little bit over the years, and I, and I agree with the change. I mean, we want to stop the threat so that that person doesn't continue on in that manner or hurting or killing people, but we also, I think, have an obligation a bit to address medical concerns when we can. Um, now, I don't have extensive training like an EMT or paramedic or anything like that, but a little bit more than the basic officers goes a long way, I think, so. Yeah, and so if that were to happen and you were in that form that you were talking about officers and then firefighters and officers, Rescue you guys, yeah, 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 you guys could stop at that victim and the firefighters would be the one aiding. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a little more to it as yeah. far as, like, uh, training and um, just uh, an overall better setup. Typically, Rescue Task Force is called in when a room is secured and we've been able to locate uh, victims and either bring them into a room or there's a large volume of victims in a room already, then we can begin that triage. And it's just a little easier to secure a room as opposed to like a hallway or something where we've got to watch multiple doors and multiple ingress and egress points or a room typically in a situation like that, there might be one door in, one door out, yeah. or two doors in, two doors out. So it's a lot easier to watch one or two doors than it is, you know, a hallway with 15 doors. So Right. There's a lot. I mean, yeah. we, there's, you know, there's tons of information out there on their internet these days. I know you can go to alert.org and research and find for yourself. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of information out there these days. The internet's a wonder and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Is there anything that you're like, they should do this? Like, if we just do it this way, it might be better. You know, I don't, I don't think that there's only one way to do things. Like I said, there's multiple programs out there. I just think that this one is the best overall for community caretaking functions and providing care, but also doing what needs to be done to address and take care of the threat to protect people. I like Alert. Um, I obviously have a, I guess a. Uh, history or an upbringing and NTOA standards somewhat too. Um, I just the alert program is nice. Um, as an instructor, they'll they can you can sign up and they'll fly around the country to train other agencies and stuff. So um, it's good for building relationships as far as a program. And like I said, it's grant funded. So as long as that grant's there, there's a tremendous amount of uh, resources out there for departments and um, officers to get trained up and do it for free. So kind of a big proponent of that good mm -hmm. training free training mm -hmm. and they bring everything you need with them so you can't really beat that it's pretty easy sell to um, departments or admins or chiefs hey I got this training coming in it's free to you they bring their instructors so really we just need a place to host it mm -hmm. so good. it's kind of hard to turn that down yeah. from an admin perspective I would think mm -hmm. totally that's it that's it cool so now we're transitioning into our side of the active assailants situation. Uh, we're going to talk more about what we what it is on our end with the taking the calls and sending the units there. Um, it depends on what we're working that day and what we're doing, but it also might overflow depending on if like who's busy and can't do a certain thing or whatever's going on. Um, so if you are in an active assailant situation. When should you or should you not call 911? What do you think? I'll answer. I was like, are you asking me? <laughs> are you asking everyone? Uh, no. I 
was asking you because okay. my train of thought was like going downhill. I, was <laughs> that. I thought you were giving people time to be like, what would what I do? You, what would you do? What would you do? Yeah. yeah, I would. Yeah. As a dispatcher, I would. Because I feel like I know what they'd want to hear. Mm-hmm. As a citizen who doesn't know anything about what you will need to get from me, I would definitely want to because that's me trying to help. Yeah, totally. And then if you're not involved, when should you call 911? You should not. Correct. (laughs) So good, I guess. Correct. If you are afraid that your family member is there and you're calling 911, I'm just going to tell you right now, if there's an active shooter or an active assailant and there's a crazy situation like that, we do not know. Right. Like, those things go on for hours. We don't have any information. In dispatch, we are not there. We're not seeing what's going on. We have information that's related to us, and even then, we aren't getting the full story. Mm-hmm. So we won't know the answer to your question, and even if we did, that's not our position to answer that. That's something that's gone through um, the officers, mm-hmm. depending on what is going on exactly. And then, like you're tying up another 911 line in which somebody who is in the situation could have called in on because we did I believe talking to it into we did talk in another episode about how if we say we have four people working there's 20 people in that building that the active assailant is in there's only four people that are available to answer those calls mm-hmm. where do the rest of those calls go those go to Larimer County so then what happens when all their call takers are taking those calls? It just keeps rolling over to the next agency. And by tying up phone lines in which you're not in that immediate danger and you're not in that situation is not good for dispatchers. It's not good for the victims. It's not good for our responders because it's taking our attention from people who are in that situation and giving it to... Um, somebody who is safe at home and I understand you're worried I understand you're concerned I understand it's scary even if you're not there but we have things that we need to be handling that are related to the situation yeah yeah cool um, so what is important to know if you are in that situation and calling 911 oh, man, you're asking me we're gonna do all these wow. I'm gonna keep asking you all these questions I did not think I was gonna be interviewed today I this didn't is know not- either <laughs> Apparently, I'm in the mood after talking to Officer Marner. <laughs> Oops. You're just like, okay. I'll Can answer you... it. Okay, great, because I forgot what the question was because I got thrown off. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> um, when you're calling in and you're in that situation, it is the same first question that you should always know no matter what you're calling 911 for. We need to know where you are. Um, chances are, because of all the calls that are coming in in a big situation, we're going to already know or like assume that mm-hmm. that call is going to be related to that incident. But it's good to know because there are those times where like there are people who have medical emergencies or other emergencies that are calling 911. And if we just assume that it's like the active assailant situation, we're like, oh yeah, they're on the way and then hang up. It's like, that's doing them a disservice. So we have to verify that as well as if you are being held hostage, where are you? Um, is really good if you're able to give us that information mm-hmm. or if you're hurt, where you are in the building so that responders can find you. Um, as Officer Marner talked about, they do go through and uh, give aid to those that are injured. So it's good to know if you are along that path that they have not like cleared the building in, um, they can at least 
try to get to you or try to find you and give you the aid that you need and we can put that in the notes and that can be relayed to them. Then the next is like, what exactly is going on? Where, where are they if you know? What weapons are they using? Are they using weapons? Um, is it a car? Is it a bomb? Like, mm-hmm. what is going on exactly? Because that changes the response for the officers. If um, they're using a machete versus a gun, that it's just a different kind of response. And mm-hmm. I'm not on SWAT, and we could have asked Officer Marner about that. It's like hindsight. Right. But it's just, it's different. And then next thing would be uh, a description. Like, are they wearing a helmet? Are they wearing, like, ballistic gear? Are they wearing a polo t-shirt? Or are they wearing nothing? Mm-hmm. Like, those are all clues as to, like you, we were talking about earlier, you said, that, like, uh, are they ready to go down in a fight? Like, wearing all of the gear? Like, are they ready to go down swinging? Or are they in regular clothing just attacking people? Like, it doesn't really change the situation because they're killing people potentially but it makes the officers respond differently Mm -hmm. I was just going to say that it's um, maybe we've talked about in other episodes but like that um, maybe with uh, Matthew that having the best picture available for the officers Mm -hmm. obviously none of us are there and we're trying to paint this picture and what's their mindset Mm -hmm. going into it so just that preparedness of I will encounter someone who's not wearing anything and they have a machete versus a person who's wearing armor and has an automatic weapon. How am I going to respond? How am I going to get out of my car maybe? So all those things that they have to be ready for. Mm -hmm. And also if the suspect leaves it's good to know what they're wearing so they know what to look for. I mean I would imagine if they're in body armor that they'd probably try to strip that off before they left Mm because you can't run very fast, I imagine. (laughs) Um, But having some kind of description to help them find that person Mm -hmm. more easily. Um, Because when you're in that situation, you don't know who it is. I would imagine, I'm going to take this out, that everybody is a suspect until proven otherwise. Mm -hmm. And it's not like you're going to start shooting everybody. It's more of like you're on that defense, prepared that if that person starts shooting at you, that they, yeah, anyways, that's all I'm gonna say. Um, Also, if they're naked and just going on a crazy rampage, again, that's awful, but that might also give hints to, not that mental illness isn't involved in no other cases besides this one. It is just a more clear indication to officers of a specific type of mental illness, such as uh, excited delirium, Mm -hmm. which essentially is either mental illness related or drug-induced related. It's kind of maybe a mixture of both. It's up in the air. I am not a doctor. But that that particular circumstance we learn about in our crisis intervention training, and basically it means that that person is... Most of the time, they take off their clothes because I believe they're getting caught. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, they have abnormal strength. Mm. So it might take more than one officer if they're trying to detain or arrest that person. It might take more than one officer. And then also, there's a good chance because their heart is going so quickly and so fastly and it's being really worked 
and possibly because of the drug instance, they tend to need medical attention a lot faster mm-hmm. because that puts strain on the heart and could lead to death or serious other issues. Hmm. So, I didn't know all of that. That's what I learned in crisis intervention. I don't think I did, or it's been a while. Oh, it's <laughs> been a while. I just, when I was in that class and I was learning about it, I was mad because we had a circumstance in my last agency in which there was a guy in a parking lot who was acting crazy, yelling and beating at people's cars, and he was stripping naked, and the sergeant was on scene, and he's like, we need med here now, like, this is excited delirium. Mm. And I looked at my partners, and I was like, what is he talking about? Mm. What is excited delirium? And they're like, mm. I know. And so I had no idea, and so I didn't sense the urgency like he did. But yeah. I mean, obviously his voice made me sound like it was urgent, but it was like I had no idea what he was talking about. So mm-hmm. then when I took the class, I was like, are you kidding me? None of you guys thought about telling me this, so I think I paid extra attention. Oh. I was just like, that's what this uh-huh. is. So hmm. take that out, Sammy. Um, <laughs> no, leave it in, Sammy. Yeah? I think it's good to know that not everyone is familiar with it. Yeah. Also, if you're in that situation, like Officer Marner talked about, if you're able to find an exit, go. Like, get out of there. Yeah. Um, I understand that you want to try to help people, but if it becomes your life versus a group of people that the sh- shooter or the assailant is coming towards, like, it's one of those circumstances where it's like, are you do you want to put yourself in more danger? And if you want to, like, like do that, that's totally up to you, but our... If you're calling me for advice as what to do, I'm going to tell you to go to that door no matter what, mm-hmm. you know, um, unless the person is right there that's attacking everybody. Yeah. Um, other than that, like Officer Marner said, shelter in place. Again, if you're able to get out, if you have any valuable information, I think that it would be nice or good to heed uh, caution when approaching those officers because mm-hmm. they may or may not know what the suspect looks like, and if you just come running at them... Right. It might just be, um, they might just be a little bit more high alert if you're running at police officers. Right. Which they probably also are expecting because people running out of that situation are probably going to run. Right. So it's like a mixed drift too. Yeah. So, I don't know. I um, I did research once on uh, Y2K uh-huh. and there was one bank in Utah that they, this chick went in and like held up the bank on New Year's for... 1999 going into 2000 Mm -hmm. and uh the next day when she finally released them like some of the bank employees were being interviewed and they were like yeah we ran out of the building and officers immediately told us to get on the ground at gunpoint and it's like yeah yeah (laughs) because they had no idea who they were going up against right so i mean it's safety for them right if they yeah and i mean they were obviously cleared as being employees of the right they got the suspect and everything like that is just a caution for not only their safety but like citizens that might be in the area like what mm-hmm. if they just let people run off without trying to contact them verify who they are like what if they were the shooter and now right. they're going somewhere else to start shooting you know? right so it's not just because they want to get you on the ground and be mean or whatever but it's bigger than that right um another thing that to consider is if you someone is shooting mm-hmm. like where did you already mention this where the gunshots are coming from like if you're in a store mm-hmm. where do you hear them are you are they are you in the 
dairy section and you can hear it across the store in produce and or how long ago did you hear gunshots do you think the person has possibly left so things to um that we might ask that you might not remember um because you're in a very intense situation so you might remember some things and not remember other things or but that's why we'll ask and if you don't know that's fine and we will do the best we can and probably process your call quicker than other calls because we're getting a lot and we're we can't stay on the line yeah I think that's the biggest thing is like as much as I'm sure we would like to stay on the line to make sure that you are okay and we are I guess in a sense accountable for you now since you're calling in and you got to me I feel like I am now accountable if anything happens to you which Mm -hmm. is probably part of that mental Mm -hmm. stress that we talk Mm -hmm. about um so it really, we are not happy about getting off the phone with you, but we also have other people that we are accountable for that are calling us. So, and like I said earlier, if that's the situation, our PD dispatcher, I believe per our policy, is now no longer answering phones. Mm-hmm. So we lose one person that can help mm-hmm. us answering phones because now they have an intense situation to handle on the radio and they have to handle it without distractions mm-hmm. because those officers are the ones that are going in and giving them information and all of this stuff. So we lost a call taker mm-hmm. in that process. Um, so we kind of really need to start rushing our call taking. So if it seems like we're trying to get you off the phone, unfortunately we are, but it's for a reason. And then also if you're if you don't have very much information, if we try to ask you these quick questions and you're like, I don't know, I don't know, mm-hmm. we're probably going to say, well, if you do get this information, please call us back. Shelter in place. I have to disconnect for another call. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say. Mm-hmm. And then just keep rolling. Yep. And hopefully we're, hopefully it doesn't happen, but maybe there's a extra people on, like um, a supervisor, yeah, something. And then like Sammy has talked about in other episodes there are other things that we're doing, sending pages to our supervisors, getting help in there, um, and probably talking to, like you said, the calls roll over. So we're talking to the county and we're asking them, you know, what they have. And since we're on the same CAD now, they can put notes into our calls, but we still need to talk to, to them about what they're, like the information they're getting because their units might be going. And mm-hmm. it's, it's not just going to be a... If it happens in Loveland, doesn't mean that it's just Loveland police that might respond. Right. We'll have the sheriff's office and possibly state patrol. and. Yeah, it'll be a much larger incident, especially since um, that's all of our officers are going to be basically tied to that incident. So now we still have the need for officers or um, medical. We might be borrowing ambulances from Fort Collins. Mm-hmm. We might be borrowing uh, fire trucks from Weld County, from Fort Collins, from... Berthed, it depends on the situation. I think Berthed would probably be pulled for that kind of a situation. Mm-hmm. But like, we're borrowing, we're also trying to work with all these other agencies to borrow what we need for just everyday normal calls that mm-hmm. we take. So we might be using Larimer County Sheriff's to now respond to our in progress calls because mm-hmm. all of our officers are tied up on that incident. Or our state patrol, or I don't know, maybe Fort Collins would get the permission to mm-hmm. come over here. I'm not sure yeah. how that works, but I know that. They work together very well when that situation happens. Mm-hmm. We've helped out Larimer County when those fires were going on last year. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just kind of a thing that you kind of, unfortunately, these policies have been put in place. And 
because of the incidents that have happened. And I feel like they're an ever-changing policy because it's an ever-changing situation and we can never be prepared for, first of all, the situation because as much as we can, I think more of like a mentally prepared, like it's straining, but we're prepared to handle it. And then if it's different and there's no policy for it yet, we kind of have to go with what we've got and then Mm -hmm. hope it's better and then see if there's another policy change out of it. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a everything changes in this job regularly but it's one of those where it's like big things are making big things change mm-hmm. does that make sense mm-hmm. i think i'm done talking okay <laughs> i'm just gonna keep rambling <laughs> um yeah i think that's all that i wanted to add to what officer marner had to talk about yeah agreed cool if you guys um i know we're about to have the outro but seriously if you guys have any questions please email us this is a unfortunately hot topic right now especially mm-hmm. with everything that's going on we've had a lot of active assailants this year and the year before and it's um i know it's a scary time mm-hmm. i guess but we're here to help um that's it and here's the outro because i already said it <laughs> so Check us out on Instagram at House and I Won't Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Loveland Emergency Communications Center. You can email any questions that you have for Erica and I or Officer Marner at City Nope at How to Nine One One at City of Loveland. Nope, that's still not it. How to Nine One One Podcast at City of Loveland dot org and um, YouTube. Same name, same everything. But that's it. Until then, know where you are. Know your phone number and tell us exactly what happened. Have a good day. Have a good day. Thank you.